today on Ag News Daily. So, Automat is a complete um, livestock medication delivery platform um, that allows you to do everything from, say, um, fixed dosing right through to weight-based dosing. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Delaney Howell, one of the hosts for the Ag News Daily Podcast, and today is Tech Tuesday. Going to have a great conversation coming up later in the podcast. But until then, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Mike Pierce. And Mike, how you doing today? I am fantastic, Delaney Howell. Good to have you back. Yeah, had a good golf day yesterday. We're also joined, of course, by Hannah Pagel. Guys, are you golfers? Eh. No, I am not, not so emphatically. Okay, well. No. I'm a terrible golfer. Well, I appreciate being allowed to skip the podcast yesterday because I had a pretty solid golf day. Good. Good for Ooh. you. Yeah. But you're back, and we need to put you to work. So what's the news today, Delaney? Well, Mike, there's certainly a lot of news. I don't know if you guys saw this yesterday, but we've got some new RFS and uh, ethanol-related news. Yes, or, uh, let's see. I don't know what day it was. I think it was one day last week. A group of 21 senators came together saying that the EPA should not consider reallocating gallons of already or reallocating those gallons that were already waived under the renewable fuel standards or those small hardship waivers saying, of course, you know, that it violates the principle of the uh, the mission, et cetera, et cetera. And on the flip side of that, we finally saw sorghum, grain sorghum, added as the newest source for renewable biofuels. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So those uh, sorghum growers now have a new market to uh, to send their goods to. All right. Well, you know, competition continues to grow. Corn farmers, you've got some competitors right now in your backyard. The uh, Kansans growing sorghum down there. That's right. Well, I've got an update as long as we're talking the greens. We had crop progress report come out yesterday at 4 o'clock, 3 o'clock central time from the USDA. And it was pretty good all the way around, despite some dryness concerns that we heard Angie talk about yesterday. Uh, NAS estimated that 72% of the corn crop in the country was good to excellent as of Sunday, and 70% of soybeans are still considered good to excellent. Basically, both of them were about the same as last week. Um, really, one of the only places that saw a big decline in crop conditions is in Missouri, where we do have that uh, extreme drought going on in parts of the state, and they are starting to chop up and bale corn. So, Yeah, I was talking to my dad the other day, and actually our part in southeast Iowa, which isn't really that far from the Missouri border, a lot of guys down in that area are considering chopping and baling as well because the corn's just not looking good. Oh, geez. Well, you know, it, that's frustrating when corn in the rest of the country looks so good. USDA is still calling for, you know, broadly excellent crop conditions. Yeah. And, you know, analysts are still talking about that 180 uh, yeah. national average yield. But we'll see. I think that's, that's going to be hard to attain, but we will see for sure. Hannah, what do you have going on today for news? You know, guys, I found this interesting survey today about President Trump's tariff relief plan. Uh, so the Farm Journal Paul survey surveyed uh, around 670 farmers and just kind of asked them their thoughts about, you know, to what extent are they thinking that President Trump's relief plan will work for them or will take or alleviate their financial concerns. And only, t- excuse me, only 10% of farmers responded that they say that it will alleviate their financial concerns and 30 let me see here 37% said 
that it will not alleviate their concerns at all. Another 24% said that it will alleviate concerns only somewhat, and 29% said that they are unsure. So they're kind of, these numbers are all across the board here in terms of President Trump's $12 billion relief plan for, are on those tariffs. Yeah, it's interesting you say that too, Hannah. I was reading something this morning, and I can't remember why I was reading it, but it said that in all actuality, even though they've allotted, uh, what was it, $12 billion for the bailout package, in all actuality, it's going to cost something like $39 billion when it's all said and done. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah, I wish I huh. could find that article. I'm trying to, I'm looking right now, but I'm not seeing it. If I find it okay. later on, I'll, I'll bring it back up. Well, you keep looking, and I'm going to bring up, because it is Tech Tuesday, and uh, I've got some tech news here, but before we get into that, let's hear a word from our sponsor today. It's hashtag Tech Tuesday, and that is brought to us by our good friends up at Harvest Profit. On the phone with me now is Nick Horb, CEO and founder of Harvest Profit. And Nick, it's midsummer. Tell us, what are your customers doing with the Harvest Profit software this time of year? Hey, Mike. Harvest Profit's mission is to give growers more visibility into their profitability on a crop year basis, crop by crop, field by field. So this time of the year, there's a bunch of different use cases. We've had a a little bit of a rally in commodity prices here, so uh, growers are tweaking their grain marketing plans, just analyzing um, different target prices on uh, the crop that's growing out in the field, you know, in addition to their old crop. And so just starting to think about, you know, should, according to my profit targets, should I be rewarding uh, this little rally we've had? And in addition to that, thinking all the way out to next year's crop, some of our customers are buying a little bit of fertilizer, starting to put together their 2019 crop budgets and just start to look at corn versus soybeans versus maybe some specialty crops and just trying to, you know, build those numbers, get that cost production order on both the profits in the field and next year's crop. And so really it's just, you know, on a weekly basis, just tweaking numbers, uh, readjusting profit targets, taking advantage of uh, profitable opportunities when they come about. And we're kind of right in the heart of that and starting to think about uh, transitioning to, to doing some 2019 analysis. Nick, for growers who want to get a better handle on their farm's profitability, where should they go to check out the Harvest Profit software? Yeah, they can try out a 14-day, really no obligation free trial by going to harvestprofit.com backslash free trial. All right. Well, speaking of technology, there was some news in the House of Representatives today. The House passed uh, yesterday, I suppose. They passed the Precision Agriculture Connectivity Act. It was written by Dave Loebsack from Iowa and Bob Lotta from Ohio. So it was bipartisan. Dave's a Democrat. Bob's a Republican. And they're looking to establish a FCC task force in the Ag Department to evaluate what broadband looks like in rural areas. And so they're saying the task force has to include farmers, it has to include ranchers, internet service providers, broadband mapping experts, and representatives from satellite industry, electric co-ops, precision ag, you know, everybody who'd be involved. And they're looking at finding where are the gaps in broadband coverage on agricultural land. They want to develop policy to get broadband out there as quick as possible. And their goal is getting reliable service on 95% of agricultural land by 2025. So farmers can wow. use precision ag tech. I think that's pretty interesting. 
Wow, ninety-five percent. Yeah, and on all agricultural land. So that includes yeah. ranchers out west. That includes, you know, you name it, Texans. All huge expanses of areas. I'd be curious to see how they put this whole thing together. Yeah, I feel like that's going to be a steep order to uh, put together. Yeah, what I think they have like right. eight years, seven years to get that all mm-hmm. done. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that seems like a fast, fast timeline there. Well, let's see. I was reading an interesting article today. I think it ties in well to our report from Bruce Gorder. Uh, Tyson Foods, talking about meat and meat products this year, Tyson is planning or forecasted it on Monday to show that their shares are going to be trading down 6% over the next year because of tariffs and uh, what's going on in the trade industry. And, of course, then, as I mentioned, we have a report here from Bruce Gorder talking to the executive director of Bio-Nebraska, Phil Cozera, from last week's Animal Health and Welfare Symposium. And so let's kick it off to Bruce. Food safety, food security, state and local regulations, they all make up an important part of the meat industry in the U.S., With that in mind, two great Midwest organizations, Bio-Nebraska and Iowa Bio, got together to put together a symposium called Animal Health in the Heartland. On the program were representatives of the animal production sector, private business, state and federal regulators, and universities, all with promoting a steady, safe meat supply to the world. Phil Cazera is the executive director of Bio-Nebraska. At the conference in Lincoln, I asked him about Bio-Nebraska. So Bio-Nebraska is a trade association for Nebraska's life sciences industry. We're a diverse association. Our members uh, are involved in everything from animal health to human health to medical device, renewable products, renewable fuels, and range from small emerging companies to large Fortune 500 companies. How long have you been in existence here? Uh, Bio-Nebraska, we're entering our 13th year, and I have been associated with Bio-Nebraska for seven years. This conference is uh, in its third year now, and you partner with uh, Iowa Bio to do this. It's a great partnership, and you come up with great, great topics every year. What's the focus this year? Uh, this uh, year, our focus is on uh, some of the innovation that's happening within the animal health Uh, industry as well as uh, regulation and of course always an underlying theme for us is collaboration. Collaboration with our members, our attendees and also with our states. Food safety is going to be part of this conference I I see. What is so important about you being involved in the food safety issues? Well obviously for Nebraska and Iowa Uh, We are a huge contributor to the food supply around the world. Agriculture is our number one industry. And when we look at the importance of food safety and also the importance of traceability, people wanting to understand where their food is being produced and how it's gotten to market. And so that traceability, the awareness of uh, how the food is produced, is a relatively new Uh, initiative and it's something that we're certainly embracing as a state and as an association and our member companies embrace that as well. Food safety certainly is a worldwide issue and if you're going to deal with the world you've got to be on the forefront of the safety issues. That's very true and when we look at uh, especially our global trade 
uh, it's certainly important for us to be able to assure our global partners that their food has been uh, produced in a safe manner, in a sustainable manner. And in Nebraska and Iowa, we have a great story to tell. We have uh, a great represent representation today of both uh, producers, innovators, and regulators. And the purpose of our discussion today is get everybody together, learn from one another, and hopefully we'll be a little stronger and a little more effective in our efforts as we leave today. You mentioned regulators uh, deal with regulations all the time in every every aspect of agriculture. Uh, why is this so important with the food safety issues? You know, when we look at the fact that uh, you mentioned food safety and the, the bodies that are, uh, I guess, uh, challenged with keeping uh, our products safe both domestically and internationally, uh, the regulators are key to approving new products that are designed to help in the food safety efforts, but also to hear those uh, concerns from the producers on how these new products are applied. And so for us to maintain our leadership role in the uh, ag production food safety arena, it's important for us to have a good understanding of what expectations are of all three of those groups the uh, innovators, the uh, regulators, and also the producers. Farmers and ranchers as a group certainly want to produce the foods, uh, food that is the safest in the world. And sometimes that uh, regulation issue gets kind of a fine line. But uh, I think working together, like you say, with bringing all these groups here together has got to be a positive thing. You know, we always tend to look at things from our perspective. Uh, it's just human nature, and that's one of the points of our gathering today of the Animal Health Symposium is it gives us the opportunity to hear from one another, get a different perspective, but also we encourage feedback. So we have a lot of interaction between our presenters and the audience. Uh, we've got a great diverse crowd here today, and uh, I think the point that you just made is definitely an outcome that we have as a fair expectation of today is that we'll continue to strengthen those relationships so that we can be more effective in the way that we uh, feed the world. We're on the innovation campus here at the University of Nebraska. This is a fairly new facility, but just a wonderful facility for meetings like this. Very excited to be here. Uh, you know, Nebraska Innovation Campus is a great symbol of our state's commitment to innovation. Uh, within Nebraska Innovation Campus, there's a diversity of uh, initiatives happening. Uh, many companies focused on a variety of areas, and they're having an impact in so many ways. We're thrilled to be here, have it as part of our program, and just to be able to showcase one of the great facilities that we have here in Nebraska. This is the third year for the symposium sponsored by Iowa Bio and Bio Nebraska, and it has grown to include participants from all over the United States. In Lincoln, for Ag News Daily, I'm Bruce Gorder. All right. Well, again, thank you to Bruce there reporting on that meat symposium. Mike, I think the last piece of news I have before I'm going to kick it off to you to do the markets, we saw a huge day today in soybeans, and I'm guessing it has something to do with the fact that NAFTA looks like it is on the brink of negotiations. I spoke, as I said the other day, I spoke to a lot of uh, Mexican traders and importers, and they are very optimistic that the NAFTA talks are progressing and, and might be close to a negotiation, at least from the Mexico-U.S. standpoint. And it seems like that may be the case. Uh, we have some folks meeting this week 
as well as last week. And it seems like the two sides, at least from a Mexico-U.S. perspective, are moving forward. Well, that is good news, and it will go quite a ways in explaining today's market movements. So, Delaney, I think I'm just going to jump right into what happened today in the markets. But before I do that, folks, remember that you can always get market information and advice and help assistance with your marketing by calling our friends at the Zaner Group. Give them a shout at 312-277-0050, or you can visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. We've got green all down the screen today in the green market, starting with the corn contract. September was up five cents at 372 and a quarter. December, up five and a quarter cents, closed at 386 and a half. The big mover today was soybeans. The August contract up 28 and three quarters cents. Boy, I get tongue-tied just trying to say that number. We haven't seen a green number that big in soybeans in a while. The August contract closed at 9.03 and three quarters. November up 28 cents above $9. Closed today at 9.19 even. Chicago wheat slowed down its roll from yesterday. The September contract up seven and a quarter cents at 5.53 and three quarters. The December up six and three quarters to close at 5.73 and a quarter. Looking over on the livestock side, we've got red on the screen here for the meats. In live cattle, the August contract was down 75 cents at 107.6750. The October down 50 cents to close at 109.30. In feeder cattle, August contract down two dollars 17 and a half cents at 149.3250. The September down a dollar 77.50 to close at 149.5750. And lean hogs, August contract down to 17.50, close the day at 61.1250. October down 50 cents to finish at 50.72 and a half. Of course, we're looking over at the dairy market. The July contract, which pretty well has expired today, was unchanged at 1412. The August down 18 cents to close at 1476. Before we get into today's discussion, let's get a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. With us again this week is Phil Long, the agronomic specialist at Latham High Tech Seeds. And Latham has folks with boots on the ground throughout the growing season, keeping track of what's going on in the crops and in the fields. And Phil, you've been out. What have you seen? What's jumping out at you this year? Yeah, it seems like there's not a lot of things overtaking crops yet, but we're right at that point where it's getting to the point, you know, we want to be considered a fungicide if that's the case. And one, one disease that's been jumping out, it's a really distinctive one. For those that have seen it, it's called Physoderma brown spot. Uh, it shows up as a kind of a purple or kind of chocolate-colored brown spots right in the midriff of the leaf and even can show up on the stalk of the plant, uh, on the corn plant. So it's, it's a very diagnostic disease, uh, a fungal disease that can be treated with a, with a fungicide around our one time period. You just got to check and make sure that those labels are, are labeled for Physoderma brown spot. Make sure that you're you're diagnosing the disease correctly. It can be misdiagnosed. Uh, southern rust as well as eye spot can kind of look similar in terms of, of leaf symptoms. Um, but 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 a fungicide and some good rotation and even maybe some tillage might be necessary to help help with control. All right, folks, keep all that in mind. And always remember, Latham High Tech Seeds has expertise across the Midwest. And to put that to work on your farm, give them a shout at 877-GO-LATHAM or visit the website at LathamSeeds.com. It's Hashtag Tech Tuesday, and this week we are talking to David Edwards. He's the CEO and founder of AutoMed, a company that's working to innovate 
Medication Delivery in Livestock. David, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you very much. Now, before we get into it, give us the the elevator pitch. What is AutoMed? So AutoMed is a complete um, livestock medication delivery platform um, that allows you to do everything from, say, um, fixed dosing right through to weight-based dosing. Um, and it consists of a hardware delivery device, um, disposable adapters for each type of drug, and also a cloud platform for recording all treatments and inventory measures. So, David, give us the big picture of, like, you know, what? how did you come up with this idea? Or, you know, what was going on in the industry that made you realize this was a, a needed device? So, what ended up happening was about uh, just over 10 years ago, in about 2008, um, we got an idea... Um, in relation to the sheep industry. So um, I was approached by an individual to look at an idea of doing weight-based dosing for sheep. And from that, I developed a concept um, back then. Uh, the issue I had, though, was was obviously cost of manufacturing is very high to produce the item at the time. So I ended up shelving it um, right up until around about 2011, 2012, is when I revamped the project um, as I found ways of actually reducing the cost of production and the rest of it. And then I then developed that into the platform it is now. In around about 2013, 2014, um, I started meeting with pharmaceutical companies. And from there, that's when the real drive came for compliance and traceability, um, as they were shedding their concerns in relation to drug requirements and new FDA requirements and things that were happening in the industry, not just within America, but also you know globally, what was happening with medication use, antibiotic use, and vaccines within the livestock industry. And David, I'm guessing our listeners can tell from your accent, you're not an American, you are an Australian. Did this device first find its foot, uh, its footing in Australia? Yes. So we ended up, um, so originally founded the business in 2012 in Australia and we, um, started our field trials back in 2015, 2014, um, in Australia. We predominantly started off with the sheep industry first and then also into the beef industry. Um, once we got moving with that, um, we then ended up in a situation in January 2016, we ended up with the system becoming commercial. What I ended up doing was I ended up getting, um, someone in Australia was pushing me to go and exhibit at the World Pork Expo and we ended up um, doing just a very small exhibit at the World Pork Expo, which I called like a lemonade stand. And um, we just had a few devices there, a laptop, um, wasn't anything flash and we presented it at World Pork back in 2016. and. We ended up getting a lot of response um, from the industry. And what ended up happening was from that response, we then sort of, we developed AutoMed USA um, because we had such a big pull um, into the American market. And once we got AutoMed USA up and running, I started to spend a lot more time over here, um, like developing the business, getting it set up and structured. And last year we made a decision to move all of our assembly for the device and the consumables um, to America. So we did that. We started doing that in August 2017. And beginning of this year, we made a decision to completely flip um, the ownership of the company. So taking it from an Australian-owned group to an American-owned group. Wow. Oh, go ahead, Hannah. I was just going to get into a little bit on the features of this device. So you kind of uh, talked briefly about how it has a one-second dose speed, uh, automatic data recording, weight-based dosing, and then it's 
it's got that light and robust design. My question is for the automatic data recording, first off, what type of data is it recording and then where is that information going or how can a producer access it once it's uh, obtained that data? So as you're actually treating these animals, um, the device um, is linked up to a mobile application, so whether it's on a phone, a mobile watch or a tablet. So as I'm dosing each animal, I'm recording its treatment record. Um, in that treatment record, we're recording everything about the drug, so the batch, the expiry, what drug it is, what dose it is, that aspect. We also record features around the animal as well, so things like if the animal has an RFID or a visual tag, um, we can record that directly in the system automatically. And we do other things too, like um, we also have geolocation functionality as well, so we can actually record geolocation of where the treatments happen. Um, and then we get into things like user details and also validation of the treatment as well. So there's around about 22 to 23 data points we record on every single treatment, even things like the firmware version, the serial number of the device and the adapter that's been used for the treatment. Once that vaccination crew or those people doing those treatments are finished, um, the application's then got all the data. It then synchronizes the data to the cloud. Um, that cloud solution they can either view on their mobile or view on their computer. Um, and it's just basically a, like a standard web portal. And they can just log in and look at their treatment data. But at the same time, they can also look at their inventory data as well. So the system also manages all the inventory flow in and out of the operation as well and the use of that inventory. So now, now, David, you just said something that really piqued my interest. Uh, you know, if I vaccinate calves or mama cows, I'm out there with a sheet of paper. I'm trying to record ear tags as they come through the chute. I'm trying to, you know, one hand wrangle something and stick them with an injection. How is Automed able to capture the the ear tag identification number? So if, if, for instance, it's an RFID tag, like an electronic identification tag, the actual device has an inbuilt RFID reader, um, so you can just scan the tag on the animal. Or if you're using like a TrueTest Gallagher RFID reader, our actual application will also communicate with that as well, so connect to that and get that data from that as well. So animal comes in the chute, the RFID scanner scans the tag, the, the device needs activated, so the device, if you're looking for an ID for each dose, the device is waiting for that tag number to come in. Once that tag number comes in, the device gets activated, you can then dose the animal. And then once the animal's dosed, you go to the next one. So all you're doing as a user, you're just pulling a trigger on the device. That's all you're doing. The back end of it, so the back aspect of the whole application and the device is doing all hard work for you. And when you say it's doing all the hard work for me, is it calculating based on inputs the amount of medication that needs to be in the dosage? Yeah, so we're in oh. a platform we've built a whole drug database. So, for instance, if, for instance, I'm doing ivermectin injections with cattle um, or I'm doing a new floor res floor, when it comes to actually setting the system up for dosing rates, um, the system, you just select what medication you're using and then what, we, what it does is then queries the database to say, yep, I'm using drug X and this is what the dose rate would be per kilograms or per pounds. And then from your perspective, you've just selected the drug, you've clicked on your adapter, you're ready to go, and as the animal comes in, the system in the back end is actually automatically calculating those doses as those animals come through based on the medication you're using. And when you talk about types of medication, you know there's many different forms to give medicine to an animal. What what are all those types of um, forms? I mean, is it more than just injection that you can deliver a medication to an animal? 
Yeah, so we cover everything now from injections. Intranasal is another area that's actually grown quite big for us, um, especially in the pork and also the cattle industry. Um, then you get into um, your drenches, so you're like your oral type medication, um, which is used a lot, and then you get into like your pourons, which you use with the cattle. There's also other types of delivery methods we're working on at the moment as well, which cover some smaller areas in the market. Now, you, you've touched on the different adapters, injection, intranasal, drench, all that sort of stuff. What sort of power requirements are there to run this device out in the field? So pretty much all you need is a mobile phone um, huh. to actually run the application. When it comes to the actual device, the device is purely battery-operated. So if I'm just doing like a standard 2 mil injection um, per um, animal, the device will run at least 8 to 10 hours a day. Um, there's no issues with that. And it's just a standard battery. Battery only takes about one hour to charge. Um, if I'm doing a thicker type of medication, it's a bit like a cordless drill. You know, the more power you use, more power you need to drive the medication, obviously the more power you use. And, you know, we still find that even with thicker-based medication, we're still getting between three to four hours per battery before you need to charge it. Wow, that's quite amazing. Um, my next question then is, you know, we've hit on all of the main topics here, but we have to talk a little bit on pricing. So what would one of these devices cost to one of our livestock listeners who are interested in this product? So if you're just a, um, say, cattle carp operation looking just for one device, um, you're looking around about 1350 just for the hardware device. And that also comes with our centrals application. And our central application allows you to set a dose and do weight-based dosing, but it doesn't include all the treatment records and inventory management aspect. Then the adapters, the adapter price is ranging between $35 to $69, depending on the type of adapter um, you're buying. So obviously the smaller injection, injection adapter is a lot cheaper. And obviously, you know, when you get into the bigger adapters up to your 20 and 30 mils, obviously, you know, price goes up in that aspect. And then for companies and groups that are looking at doing um, full compliance and traceability of their treatment records but full inventory management, you're looking at $49 per, uh, per enterprise, and that includes two sites. And what we mean by sites is sites could be things like in a feedlot, you have a processing section and a hospital section, that's, you know, two sites. And then for any additional sites after that, you're looking at around about $10 per site after that. And is that an annual fee or a one-time that's a monthly, so that's a monthly subscription fee on the software side. Um, on the hardware, on the hardware side, it's purely buyout. Now, if for instance you're a larger operation and you want to buy a number of these units, and obviously you know discount structure comes in quite well. Yeah, yeah, you bet. It's always uh, it's always advantageous if you're uh, coming to the table with a big check to buy a bunch of them. And David, yeah. you touched on something: the traceability. As we think about how the livestock industry is changing, of course, we've got the farm check program, PQA, BQA. Have you found that the records generated by the AutoMed system are accepted by these uh, traceability or accountability third-party auditors? So we've been doing a lot of work with different quality assurance systems. One thing we have found is our data set is pretty standard for what they require. We have done a lot of work over the last two years to make sure our data set um, meets any sort of requirements the QA systems require in terms of different types of data they want to record. So as an example, one of the things that come up um, with the pork industry, um, especially with antibiotics use, was um, reason for treatment. So making sure... 
from giving medication to a group of animals or a animal um, that I was also outlining why I was giving that treatment as well. So, you know, there might be an animal that has lameness, so, you know, I treat that animal for lameness. Um, obviously, on batch dosing with vaccines and that sort of thing, um, what you find is it's more um, you're recording your inventory usage um, and you're making sure you're compliant in the way of um, making sure your inventory, your inventory in, inventory out, on the serial numbers of what inventory and that sort of aspect was used was fully compliant as well. So from the QA point of view, we actually tick all the boxes when it comes to the data set they require um, for their quality assurance programs. And David, looking into the future, what is the next steps for AutoMed to expand or looking at improving this technology? So, yeah, as, as a company, um, obviously within Ains, Iowa, uh, growth at the moment. So obviously we're expanding our production, expanding our facility. We're seeing a lot more drive with our software platform. Um, so since last year when we developed the inventory management platform, we're seeing becoming a very big aspect for us. And it's not so just managing inventory, in other words, I bought drugs and they're on the farm. It's more about um, tracking the inventory coming in and out of the farm from its operations and then also tracking the usage of that inventory. So, you know, getting full compliance from that animal all the way back up the supply chain. That seems to be a very, very big aspect for us at the moment. In terms of hardware, from the hardware side, it's more filling the gaps. Um, so, you know, with the beef industries, there's certain applications with beef industries, we're looking at expanding our adapter range um, to be able to meet some of those capabilities. And obviously on the pork side too, there's some challenges in the pork side that we're looking at as well to expand that. Pork and beef um, are probably our two biggest industries that we focus on, um, especially in the United States and also in Canada. Um, and obviously in Europe, we're also doing a bit with poultry as well. So what we're sort of finding with the hardware side, it's more focused towards, you know, filling the gaps um, and also, you know, getting the system as foolproof as possible. The big focus for us is plug and play, so set and forget. Um, and on the software side, you know, getting more so into the analytics and where we're heading with the data set. So, you know, it's good we record all this data, but then, you know, at the end of it, we've got to then look at, okay, what do you do with that data and how do you best present that data or use that data to its best ability? Fantastic. David, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. And listeners, if you want to learn more about AutoMed, uh, visit their website, A-U-T-O-M-E-D dot I-O. And check it out. David, this is very cool. It's interesting to see where livestock dosage and medication is headed. It really feels like we're living in the future. Sounds good. All right. Well, it sounds like you guys had a great conversation. Thanks again to David and uh, Mike and Hannah. I just have one other quick piece of news here that just came in as we're finishing up the podcast today. And that is U.S. officials are said to meet this week with China on trade posture because the next round of tariffs on Chinese imports are expected to go into effect as early as Wednesday this week. So we'll see uh, how the markets react and what happens moving forward. But, gosh, I was reading something today that said Chinese stocks were down as much as 25%. So I think they're really starting to feel the effects, and that's, I think, what President Trump had in mind the whole time. Well, hopefully they can get some good news and we can keep this rally in the soybean market going for all of our grain producers. Now, Hannah, if we've got listeners that are tuning in for the first time and they want to learn more about Ag News Daily, where should they go to get more information? Folks, the first place you can head to is our website at www.agnewsdaily.com. There you will find all of our podcasts and you can even leave a comment with your thoughts 
Or, if you would like to go more directly to some of the recent podcasts, you can find us on social media, Twitter, or Facebook. Just search Ag News Daily. And Delaney, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.